Welcome back to the podcast. I'm Jamie Baines. Today's guest is Antoinette Tull. Antoinette worked for the city of Richmond for nearly 20 years, many of those years with the Richmond Police Department. I initially asked Antoinette if she wanted to talk about the fact that many people of color who go missing don't receive the media coverage that white women do. Antoinette agreed, but said that she'd rather talk about diversity and inclusivity. So that's what we did. Listen to our interview and let me know what you think. Welcome back to the podcast. Today I've got Antoinette Toll with me. How are you, Antoinette? I am well. How are you? I'm fine. I'm fine. Can you give us a little background? You and I met when you were at the police department, and you're not with them any longer, but you were there quite a while. Yep. Um, I actually worked for the city for about 19 and a half years, but I was the HR division chief for the Richmond Police Department for 14 and a half years. And what was what, did the, what does an HR chief do, Antoinette? And so um, this role was created uh, by Chief Rodney Monroe back in 2005, I believe, 2006. Um, I entered the role in June of 2007, and my responsibilities um, was to ensure that we created or to ensure we created a diverse staff um, and that we really pushed forward our diversity, equity, and inclusion um, policies. And so I oversaw our recruitment and staffing process at that time, as well as uh, background investigations, the polygraph unit, uh, our risk management area. And then over time, I also became responsible for uh, our disciplinary review office at, um, around 2015. So there was a plethora of things that I was responsible for, but mainly ensuring that um, we recruited and retained uh, a diverse staff of individuals in the department. And And I loved it. And it seems like Richmond is a very diverse department as well. It is. And, and, you know, it was all intentional. I I tell this story um, because now I actually have my own um, organization and we can get into that later if you want to, um, because it's primarily to support other public safety agencies. Uh, But back in 2004, when Monroe arrived, um, one of the uh, charges that he had from uh, Lieutenant, well, he wasn't Lieutenant Governor, what? Doug Wilder was the lieutenant governor. He was the governor. Um, He became our mayor. Uh, But he actually required um, Monroe to come in and take a look at our agency. Uh, And he wanted him to ensure that we were going to be reflective of our entire community. Mm -hmm. And so we started uh, that push to ensure that we had representation in our department uh, from every community uh, in the city. And so by the time I left, I mean, you know, we, our department has a very long history. Mm -hmm. Uh, However, by the time I left, we were one of the, we were actually the most diverse agency in the entire state of Virginia. And so uh, the dynamic, the demographics were about 60-40, uh, 60% white male, uh, or 60% white, mm-hmm. if you will, and uh, 40% minorities. Uh, and that is something that I'm very proud of. I think the department uh, should be very proud of because it was a difficult task to take on. We had to make intentional goals um, about ensuring we knew who was in the community and how to recruit them into our agencies, knowing that some communities uh, were fearful of the police or just did not want to be a part of policing. 
And how did you how do you draw people into policing from communities like that who may fear policing or may fear police well, officers? I will say for each agency, it's different um, because you have to know who's actually in your community. Mm -hmm. I just left a city uh, about two weeks ago and, you know, we were talking about African-Americans. That city's population of African-Americans were one percent. The the department actually had, I believe, about 15 percent in their agency. And so you have to understand your community but going into communities that do that have um i will say uh, not so great relationship with officers that is what i call a part of your grow your own strategy in terms of meeting people where they are and ensuring that they understand what the goals and roles of the agency are um and then continuously making sure that they understand that they can provide value and that their voices will be heard um, and that they are deserving of that opportunity to make that change for the department. Um, One thing, uh, Jamie, I don't think people recognize um, is that I decided in 91 that I didn't like police. And you mentioned that before, before we started mm -hmm. talking. Yeah, I decided that I didn't like police, and that was based off of um, the Rodney King incident. And when I, you know, started working for the city, I was in social services. I loved it. And when our HR director asked me what I thought about going to police, I said, I don't. I don't at all. And I hung up on him. <laughs> and, and, and he, you know, we had that type of relationship. But, you know, after talking with him, he, you know, he was like, you're the only person on our team that I think can go over there and just kind of hold it together until we come up with a plan. Because at that time, that was when we went to the strong mayor format and Mayor Wilder was coming in and we were making a transition in leadership. But even when I got there, I did it like officers. I didn't like the environment because it was paramilitary. Mm -hmm. Um, But I wanted to do my work. And that was, you know, I always focused on just doing great work. And over time, I will say Chief Monroe. And remember Detective Hawkins, George Hawkins? I do. Yes, I do. Background investigator. um, They both um, shared with me their perspectives on why they were, why they wanted to be police officers. And then former Chief Will Smith Mm -hmm. uh, was my lieutenant. And Will and I had lots of conversation just about, you know, law enforcement in general, and then race and policing. And we were able to come up with a lot of great policies in regards to how, you know, to handle uh, inclusivity inside the organization. And so I think I just went on a tangent, but it's all about conversation. I was going to ask, and, why, why do you think it's so hard? Because you said um, you had a conversation with Will Smith. You didn't like police initially. Why do you think uh-huh. it's so hard for people to have hard conversations like this, like like about race and about policing? And um, it seems like people tiptoe around it a lot and don't go into it headlong. Well, you know, we all get fed 11 million pieces of information at one time, right? Mm -hmm. And our brains can process 40. And so we come up with these biases that help us make decisions fast, that help keep what we believe, you know, ourselves safe. And so bias plays a huge role 
in why that occurs. And, you know, being in human resources in police was a, it was more, I, I had to become a bridge. And so HR is required to listen. We're required to be an advocate um, on both sides. And mm-hmm. we have to balance that out. That conversation between race and policing is highly charged. It's like political conversations, mm-hmm. right? Yes. Um, it's a highly charged conversation. And so both sides have to put um, away uh, those fears, those anxieties. And I, won't, I, won't say, I don't want to say put away. They have to create a space for one another to be heard. And well so said. I while, agree. Well said. Yeah, yeah. It has to be a, a space where each side is heard um, and felt. You know, a lot of times we don't want to have empathy for someone that we view as an enemy. Mm-hmm. And we lose, you know, on on both sides. We lose. Um, but I do think once we continue to reimagine, because when I say both sides, you know, a lot of times in, in, in the department, you know, people were angry with me. And I'm like, listen, I hear both of our sides. And my job is to be an advocate for both sides. Mm-hmm. However, depending upon the issue, I'm going to say my truth, recognizing that my truth also um, is based in exactly what I have seen, heard, and read. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. I was responsible for ensuring that while officers were frustrated about uh, certain individuals, and I'll take you know something a little bit lighter, age played a role for uh, a while because we of course have an aging uh, department. Mm-hmm. A lot of the, the departments are aging, and the um, the communications around aging can sometimes be very very hurtful. You know, we use terms like dinosaur, we use or, you know old school. <laughs> Those types of things can be very hurtful when you are old school, and you understood that when you entered policing, it was one way. And now you have uh, these youngins, which is a term I heard all the time, coming in and they don't know how to, you know, talk to people. They don't know how to um, communicate, uh, but they also have empathy, mm-hmm. you know. And so they have to understand that old school is going to give you the wisdom and the foundation um, that you need to do this job. But the, the younger generation will also provide you with a fresh perspective and new solutions on how to handle all issues. And you have to so, evolve. I mean, every I think every organization, every agency has to evolve. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's, you know, policing has been an identity crisis. Hmm. I've been speaking publicly since around 15 on it. So I will say since around 13, 14, there has just been an identity crisis internally and externally. Who do we want to be, you know, as a public safety agency moving into, you know, the the 21st century, like moving through it? How how are we going to engage the community? Because between camera phones and body worn cameras, your behavior is is on display 24, seven, 365 or however long your shift is. Right. And so that that type of um, oversight can be very, very, I I will say, um, taxing on an individual, but it also requires you to learn things that we necessarily didn't train officers on before, like patience, Mm -hmm. you know, um, listening. Officers have been uh, 
trained to, to take charge because that's what's required, right? You have mm-hmm. to take charge of that scene. Uh, but there are different ways of taking charge. And sometimes it looks like de-escalation. And we don't train that very well in the academy. Is that something that you think needs to be addressed more? Um, especially, like you and I spoke briefly about the events of last summer and the unrest. And mm-hmm. you had you and along with a lot of other people um, who work with the Richmond Police Department had frustrations that the Richmond Police Department was kind of getting lumped in with other police agencies around the country because demands were being made that the police department already did. Absolutely. Ab- absolutely. You know, I am, I'm not sure if you know, but I was very vocal about a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and <laughs> very vocal about a lot of things. Um, but I was really, there was a, eight can't wait. And so I, I printed it out because I found it online and, you know, a part of the community was pushing eight can't wait. And I literally went down and I'm like, well, we're at seven and a half. Oh, no. Well, now, what, for people who don't know, what what is eight can't wait? Is that eight demands? Um, well, or- it wasn't. I wouldn't call it demands. Um, what I would say it was it was more of a these are the things that can bring immediate change to the police department. Gotcha. That makes sense. Demands was, demands was more kind of in your face. And I don't want to use right. that term. So more right. eight eight suggestions or something that the police department needs to do. Is that right? Right, right. In order to ensure, you know, and some people did call it demands, um, but it was, you know, these are the things that could create immediate change uh, with the police department. And I can't remember them all up off the top of my head. I'm sure I could probably run to my computer and get them. But the the basis of it is that, you know, these are the things that could bring immediate change and mm-hmm. decrease police violence. Um, but I, I really do, you know, a lot of that, of course, was hiring, which was always going to, you know, um, I will say evoke uh, a response from me mm-hmm. because I know that we had been intentional about bringing in women mm-hmm. um, and men and women from different communities. Uh, my officers went everywhere and we talked to everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I knew that we and I also knew that we were the most diverse agency in the entire state of Virginia. One of the things, and I don't think I shared this with you, Jamie, is um, there's a sheriff. I think his name is Chris Swanson. During the midst, um, the beginnings of the unrest, he was on CNN and and he was you know just discussing the unrest. But he said, "I'm very surprised uh, that." Uh, communities that have a great relationship with their local law enforcement agency are actually burning right now. And and he named Richmond first. Really? I didn't I didn't see that interview. Wow. Yeah. It was very early on. I wanna say it was, you know, I I didn't get much sleep the first three or four days of the unrest. Mm-hmm. And I, it was one of those like the within the first few days. And it really just it made me feel good, but it also saddened me because, again, I know the great work that we did in the department. Um, this the the second responders program that has now been legalized. RPD started that in ni- like 1998. I want to say 1998, 1999, uh, and the city defunded it in around 2013. 
And that program is now, um, it's legal. It's, it's a legalized program that, you know, departments have to now implement in, you know, the state of Virginia. And I'm like, you know, we did that. We were, you know, we were doing that, Mm -hmm. you know, though, you know, um, working with the community, the life program, uh, our young adult commissioners, ensuring that we work with high schoolers to understand exactly what law enforcement is and how to create an agency that's inclusive, that is willing to listen and create programs in the city that were going to be more about safety and prevention uh, than arresting our way out of crime. That philosophy changed for us in 2004. And, you know, it. I was just dismayed at the unrest last year. Not to say that we did not have areas for growth because mm-hmm. we did, you know, and I had a firsthand uh, view of those. But um, I also believe that, you know, we were really a great department moving in a direction that the community wanted us to. And was that, to your knowledge, was were the programs that we were already doing, was that ever mentioned in the news cycles when this was going on? Unfortunately, I didn't see any. And I don't remember any either. And I wasn't, I at, at one I, point I, got, I kind of stopped watching the news. Um, but it, yeah. But uh, I don't I remember that being put out there. Like, hey, we're, we're doing this anyway. We have been doing this anyway. Right. I do not remember seeing anything in the news about what we actually what programs we actually um had already done i don't remember that at all Uh, i do remember i tweeted um at some point our demographics in the department because you know it's important you know and and when we talk about diversity equity and inclusion you know my my company now it's it's hurdle llc you know i had to put that plug in there i know but, I got, i'm with you <laughs> <laughs> but you know my responsibility now is to it's an it's an hr consulting firm uh but i'm specifically uh working with police departments fire departments um first responders like home health care agencies and um, hospitals because i i want everyone to understand that inclusivity starts internally and i feel like the richmond police department had a great internal environment for inclusivity and so that allowed us to continuously bring you know individuals who did not look like one another mm-hmm. to the table to create equitable solutions for everyone you know and and that was very important to us as an agency um but to me personally does that make sense it does Moving forward, so, what do you think the best way for people to to get along is? And you said, I mean, obviously, um, diversity, inclusivity, putting people together to work together and is a huge step. I think the mm-hmm. more people are together and around each other and talk to each other, the less the less you're going to have stereotypes that come into play. Um, and just, I don't know, just dealing with people personally, it seems like, will sweep away a lot of the bad stuff. I think personalization and understanding, you know, that, you know, our biases, you know, the, the way to get to understanding is to understand yourself. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I understood my bias towards white male police officers. It did not stop me 
from seeing uh, Chief Will Smith, uh, former Chief Will Smith, as a human being, a human being who had experiences that were separate and apart from my own. Mm -hmm. Um, And so once I understood my, my, my bias, I could create space for him and allow him to tell me what his story was. Um, And I did that with a lot of other um, officers as well, Uh, because anytime we're all talking about coming together, right, and and the community and and the department um, or, or officers coming together, everyone is required to create space. In this space with law enforcement, I do absolutely believe, and I know this doesn't get me a lot of fandom, um, which is also fine. The uh, officers now have to be in a position to listen. Mm-hmm. You know, I think they, um, should, they should. I think everybody should listen. Absolutely, I absolutely think that everyone should listen. However, I also feel like there is a voice of the unheard. And there are people who have not had their voices heard and those individuals should be allowed uh, to hear. It's almost like if you're a CEO of an organization and you have a, a, a customer and you have a lot of, you know, high traffic customers, but then you have this one customer who may have, you know, purchased one thing for you. And I don't want to just, you know, belabor it, but with that one customer, they still matter. Absolutely. They've still engaged you, and that voice should still matter. There are a lot of sectors of the community, especially African-American communities, that they don't feel like their voices matter. And when we come across those individuals, we should be willing to allow their voice to be heard in a space that is non-judgmental and non-critical and open enough to say, I hear you. I agree 100%. I think everybody should have a voice everywhere. Right. It it seems as if a lot of times people don't get a voice on larger platforms. That part. That part. That part. I do think with the uh, social media allows everybody to have a voice now. So I think we're, we're moving. We're moving to a place where, you know, if you want to utilize your voice, you can find your voice and use it. Um, but I also, you know, to flip that to Jamie, I absolutely feel like officers should be heard as well. I, I do believe that a lot of agencies are suffering right now. Um, I just came across, unfortunately, um, and my heart goes out to both of their families. There was a, a lieutenant in Casper, Wyoming, uh, who took his own life. Um, and then there was also the death of an officer in Chesterfield. Mm-hmm. And uh, we have to understand that we're all human beings. Yes. Regardless, you know, regardless of our race, regardless of um, our, our socioeconomic status, if you will. We're all human beings and everyone feels pain in different ways. Everyone feels joy in different ways. And we have to be open to asking people, hey, are you OK? What can I do to help? But officers have not had their voices heard. Um, And there were a lot of officers. I saw a lot of officers who were on the front lines in Richmond who I know purchased, you know, clothing, uh, shoes, had conversations and real relationships with their communities. And they found themselves at odds with them. Mm -hmm. And so I, I, I feel like the road 
to um, collaboration, you know, needs to first have help on both sides and making sure these officers have a way to um, have their voices heard when it came to things that transpired last summer, because a lot of them were really caught in a hard place. Mm-hmm. This is the community that I've grown to love. This is the community that I felt like, you know, I had friends in, I had um, relationships with, and now all of a sudden we're at odds and I don't know where to put those feelings. You know, that that's a hard mental space for anyone. And those voices, the, the agencies that um, are out there, I know Chesterfield has a lot of great provisions in place, uh, but I, I, I hope that other agencies follow suit and give officers that space to have those conversations with one another, with professionals, with the administration, because I don't know how they move forward without that conversation. I could not have summed anything up <laughs> Any better than that, Antoinette. <laughs> that was fantastic. The um, I want to have you back on the show and talk about more stuff because you you just like a treasure trove of information, and I want to get more from you. If you're willing to come back and talk to us again. Absolutely. Absolutely. Th- I would appreciate it. Thank you very, very much. It was fantastic. Like I said, I could not have summed that up better if I tried. <laughs> well, great. Great, great, great. I'm glad I wasn't just rambling. No. I appreciate it, though. All Thank right, Antoinette. I'll talk to you soon. Sure. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye-bye. That's it, guys. What'd you think? I really liked how Antoinette said that even though she held biases against white male police officers, she was able to make room for them in her thoughts and listen to what they had to say. That, I think, is the key to interaction between all people regardless of race, religion, gender, politics, etc. So you have a bias. Okay, make room for other people's thoughts and ideas. Then see if you have a little less bias and a little more space for different ideas. What have you got to lose by simply listening? And speaking of listening, thank you for tuning in. Take care of each other and treat others the way you want to be treated.